0: For years, I'd been hearing about this place outside Nashville called OnSite. I'd heard it described as therapy camp for adults. I'd had several singer-songwriter friends who'd been stuck in their creative work and attended one of OnSite's programs and came back ready to write again. One friend, Jake, told me the program helped him figure out why he had so many screwed-up relationships. He said their workshops dealt a great deal with codependency and shame. I signed up, but I really didn't want to go. I was mostly going because the breakup had been a bit public and I wanted people to know I was working on my issues. It's that old performer side of me, you know. Part of me believed that with time I could solve my own problems. I'd written best-selling books helping people resolve their issues. After all, why couldn't I solve my own? At the time, I was doing research on story structure, on the kinds of plots that make movies compelling. One day, I realized something obvious. In all these movies, there was a similar plot. The hero is always weak at the beginning and strong at the end, or a jerk at the beginning and kind at the end, or cowardly at the beginning and brave at the end. In other words, heroes are almost always screw-ups. But it hardly mattered. All the hero has to do to make the story great is struggle with doubt, face their demons, and muster enough strength to destroy the Death Star. That said, I noticed another thing. The strongest character in a story isn't the hero, it's the guide. Yoda, Hamish. It's the guide who gets the hero back on track. The guide gives the hero a plan and enough confidence to enter the fight. The guide has walked the path of the hero and has the advice and wisdom to get the hero through their troubles so they can beat the resistance. The more I studied story, the more I realized I needed a guide. The bus ride from the airport to on-site was terrible. We'd flown in from all over, about 40 of us, and we sat uncomfortably close to each other without talking. Even in my late 30s, I felt like a teenager being sent to rehab. I looked around, wondering what the other inmates were in for. I tried to categorize them. Pervs, Klingons, pill poppers, conspiracy theorists. Skymall must have made a fortune off these people during their flights. When we arrived, I was surprised at the serenity of the place. Onsite is housed in an old mansion on a hill. Almost no other houses or farms are visible from the large front porch. Horses roam behind the mansion, and a creek runs between the pasture and the neighboring hill. The staff is friendly, as though pretending they don't have a closet somewhere filled with tranquilizer guns. Some of us had roommates at OnSite. When I asked the guy on the bed next to me what he was in for, he told me he came to OnSite because he destroyed his marriage and his company by telling lies. He said he didn't know why he lied, except he wanted to impress people. But he lied his way into bankruptcy and signed up for on-site when his ex-wife told him about the place. Interestingly, I found the guy, trustworthy after that. I felt like I could tell him anything. I didn't, but I felt like I could. Our other roommate let us know within two minutes of walking in the door he was a master at karate. He said he could get a guy on the floor in one move and snap his neck instantly. He made a swooshing sound as he described the move. Apparently, when a neck breaks, it makes a swooshing sound. At orientation, the on-site staff told us we had to turn in our cell phones. They said we could make a couple final calls if we needed to, but after that, we wouldn't be communicating with the outside world for more than a week. Everybody scrambled to make their calls or check their stocks. I just put my phone in the basket. Who was I going to call? Bob? I could just hear him. Don, you're great at rehab. After we turned in our phones, a guy named Bill Loki came in and welcomed us. He had a slight Tennessee accent, wore a flannel shirt and jeans, and his thick gray hair was parted and feathered back like a cleaned-up folk singer. He looked like a guy who'd stopped drinking decades ago and now read a lot of poetry. We all sat down, and Bill explained that years ago he'd ended his first marriage after having emotional affairs and living dishonestly. He said he'd come to on-site just like we had, where he learned about codependency and the unhealthy things people do to make themselves feel centered and whole. He said it had been a long journey, but these days, the temptations were gone. Years after leaving on-site as a patient, Bill became a licensed therapist and came back to direct the programs. My first big breakthrough came when Bill and I were having lunch in the mansion. I was making jokes, and he asked if I knew where my entertainer gene came from. I couldn't believe he pegged me that quickly. I told him I didn't know, that I'd always felt a need to be smart or funny.